The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I am thrilled to be back in the studio on this absolutely gorgeous day here in Philadelphia. And I wanted to give you all a quick reminder to be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now on Instagram, where we'll be posting some wonderful pictures of our amazing guests that will be on the show. Um, And also, you can stay tuned uh, to our lineup and our events at womentowatch.net, and that's women, the number two, watch.net. I also want to give a quick thank you to our um, sponsors and the supporters of our show. Uh, A quick thank you to Entrust Financial, Holy Redeemer Health System, Candor Consulting, and Mount St. Joseph Academy, who uh, have been wonderful supporters of the show and, and allow us to bring it to you each week. And now I'd like to introduce our, our guest for today. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to have with us Shannon Schuyler. Uh, Shannon is the Principal Chief Purpose Officer and Corporate Responsibility Leader at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and she's also the president of the PwC Charitable Foundation, uh, among some other titles. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Uh, it's great to have you. I um, No, it's great to be on. I'm glad that we, we were able to pin you down for an hour. When I, when I did my <laughs> homework and looked at your schedule, I thought, my goodness, I'm lucky that we got her. Well, it's, I'm leaving in a couple hours heading to San Diego, so it worked out perfectly, and hopefully we'll have good weather on both ends. It's a beautiful day here in Chicago. Oh, good, good, and hopefully some, you know, um, streamlined traveling. I know, you know, what's been happening at the airports in Chicago. I, I feel bad for you people. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's a, uh, you really have to get up to go. Yeah, you do. Plan ahead. Um, so listen, I would love to start out uh, with your story and your growing up years in Ohio and, and have you just talk a little bit about yourself as a young girl, um, your childhood, family, and um, and what your aspirations were as a young girl. Sure. Well, I grew up, uh, I was born in Canton, Ohio, where it was a great small little town and I walked to school and walked to my grandparents' house and walked to get ice cream and certainly was very independent. I have a sister who's 18 months older than I am, and I think the two of us were very different, but certainly got along and, and did a lot together. And uh, I think that's kind of where everything started. I started out with doing a lot in sports and swim team and all those fun things and um, really also loved school, even back then, and really liked to learn. My father, who has always been in education, is a recently retired superintendent of schools, but my dad was a teacher, and my mother was a teacher, and my aunt was a teacher, and so there were so many teachers in our family, and so we certainly had a lot of reading and a lot of learning as we grew up. And then early on, uh, we moved to Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is outside of Cleveland, Mm -hmm. just a very idyllic, beautiful place, and just had a wonderful childhood growing up, doing more and more with athletics, Um, was a gymnast, 
for many years and ended up in the Junior Olympics way, way back when. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, I don't, now that I look back at what I was able to do compared to what they do now, I was watching a gymnastics tournament over the weekend. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we didn't have to know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're doing more difficult maneuvers today. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, my. So it yeah. sounds way more impressive than it was. It really wasn't <laughs> impressive. Uh, but did a lot around um, uh, gymnastics and then got into volleyball and field hockey and track and uh, was certainly incredibly active in all those fronts growing up in junior high school and high school. Yeah. Well, I would say you probably, it sounds like you did exactly what a a young woman should do to, you know, growing up to kind of um, stay on the right track, keep out of trouble. I I think sports for young girls is really tremendous and a wonderful confidence booster. And and, and having mom and dad as teachers, um, I would assume they were were on top of you and and making you, you know, (laughs) stay with the books. Um, And that's wonderful. I, um, I I do know a, a part of your story, Shannon, that I'd love for you to talk about for a couple of minutes mm-hmm. um, was the loss of some very influential women in your life. And uh, I read as part of your bio that you, in a, in a very short period of time, lost five very close women to you um, who were who were too young, actually. And I wonder if you can talk about that and, and tell me, number one, who were they and um why are they such a big part of what drives you today? No, absolutely. We we were a very matriarchal family. Um, I always say it, and I laugh. People are not surprised to hear that when um, they hear me talk or my sister. And we certainly developed a voice, <laughs> a very loud voice. And I think it was because of these incredible women. And we used to gather around the table at the holidays, and we'd always have the most senior woman sit at the end of the table, and whether it was my either one of my grandmothers or my aunts or my mother, and over a series of about five years or so, one after another, they passed away. And it was really horrifying. Um, we would come together, and here was this uh, you know, great opportunity and holiday, and there would be somebody else sitting at the table. Mm. Um, and it was really hard to see. And I guess what made it extra hard is the women were the ones who were making the decision. And these were... Um, so my grandmother went to college and um, was very active in, in different community outreach uh, activities. My mother went to University of Wisconsin, was a huge Badger fan, and was a state and local lobbyist for National City Bank, and a quite, uh, quite good golfer. Um, my aunt ended up having early-stage Alzheimer's in her 50s. Um, my other aunt passed away. Um, of a heart attack very unexpectedly and was incredibly healthy and, and active. And it was, you watch this happen and you watch the power and the spirit and truly the magic of these women and what they instilled on me and, and on the family to be active and to give back and to have a voice and not to back down and not to be a victim um, and to be the heroine in your life because they all went through their own um, various different traumas and, and things that they overcame. And I saw that year after year after year and really realized that that's what I needed to do. I needed to take the power that they brought and that spirit of life and that incredible um, ethic of joy and work and uh, family and figure a way to make that a part of who I was and how I could really turn into a woman that they would frankly be proud of. 
Mm. Wow. It's so it sounds like you come from good stock, as they say, right? I definitely, yes. Yeah, very yeah. solid, hard stock. We do. Yeah. And I mean, first of all, it's unusual. Your grandmother, you said, went to college, and that was unusual at the time for um, that generation. Um, and, and your mom, was it your mom that was a golfer, did you say? My mom, everyone was a golfer. I have missed that trade. I'm trying to pick it up. But yes, my <laughs> mother was an outstanding golfer. And, um, you know, being a state and local lobbyist, she spent a lot of time, I uh, was in Ohio with Jack Kemp and, and she was usually the only woman that was out there and she could smash a ball. She was tiny. She was about five, four. And, but she could hit that ball straight and far and, um, was just this wonderful ball of staff. Wow, wow. <laughs> I can remember. Yeah. So, you you know, you really got great messaging and um, an example. By, you know, these women modeled for you uh, the example of, of what women can and should be doing. I love that. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Let me ask so you. So much so, and it's an interesting story, just real quick. Yeah. I was presenting in New York, and it was probably, I think, three years ago. Um, at a conference, and a woman came up to me out of the blue and um, said, do you happen to know Sarah Scoggin? And that was my mother. And I said, yes. And she goes, I happened to work in Cleveland, and I saw Sarah speak and know she had passed away, and I didn't know you were her daughter, but it was so clear that you were a daughter when I heard you talk. Wow. And it took all, you know, all of it was not to break down into tears, but it was probably one of the proudest moments that I had that someone could pick me out because of my mother. Wow. Yes, that is something to be really proud of. Um, is is your sister still living? She is. My okay. sister um, is she's 18 months older. She lives in Evanston, so we're about 20 minutes away. We haven't lived close for a long time, but now now we do, and we have uh, all the cousins get together. Yeah, wonderful. Here's a question I had for you, Shannon. It, you know, that is um, that's a tough thing to go through. Um, and to go through it in such a short period of time and, and rather than, you know, take it on as a negative, really turn it around and look at it as something positive. And you are one of those women who really takes on a lot. Um, you wear a lot of hats. Um, you have a family. You're, you know, you're married with a son. And, you know, in addition to your very important role at uh, PwC, you're involved in a lot of organizations outside of work. I wonder if you and and what I read was that you really feel this obligation to kind of carry on the legacy of these women that were in your life. I wanted to know if it if it ever feels like it is a burden to, to you to do that that you're kind of putting an expectation on yourself that um, might be great, or is it really a positive influence in in all that you do and your life? No, I think it's an incredibly positive influence. I, when I now a year ago or so said that I would take uh, a day a month and do nothing but talk to women who just wanted to talk. Um, I remember not knowing what I wanted to do, not knowing where I wanted to be, going through different life issues, and you just wanted someone to talk to mm-hmm. that would be non-judgmental, who would kind of give you advice and, frankly, sometimes just say, come on, get up. Yes. you gotta, you got to make this work. or or really being kind and thoughtful and, and thought that I need to do this. And what I'm amazed at, I learned so much more about overall what's going on, but then so much more about me. Like I, I can find the different issues that resonate with me or, or make me really think, do I do and am I creating the cultures and environments that these women are struggling in? Or am I a part of the solution? And and I've really thought that it's such a gift to me. And whenever it's a gift, it doesn't feel like a burden or more time. It feels like 
people really truly add to my life, and I'm able then to take that and hopefully pay it forward to others. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, let's go back for a second. You you graduated the University of Michigan with a, a BA in English. What was yes. your what were your um, goals and aspirations at that time? Well, first of all, go blue. We're looking forward to oh. a good football season this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge football fan. I started out. I ended up in Michigan because of football. My dad was a football coach at some time, and, and so I worked at the football department for a couple of years. So I will tell you that college football remains something that I'm incredibly active in. Well, I love um, that because I have the same passion. So we, we share okay, that. Good. Yes, I love it. I totally, <laughs> I love I totally get it. Um, and, and so it's interesting. So in school, I really wanted to be, and you'll now appreciate this, a play-by-play football. So before it was actually cool for a woman to be on the sideline. Uh, to walk up and down, I really wanted to do that. And I was a, a little bit ahead of my time because it wasn't something that was really embraced back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did a lot around um, uh, communications. So I had a minor in communications, and I thought that's really what I wanted to do. And didn't get a whole lot of pickup. And then uh, my mother at that point um, had gotten sick, and so I wanted to be closer to home. And then Simultaneously, I ended up uh, being engaged to someone who was a professional basketball player and ended up in France. So all these winding things happened, and it really took my eye off of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's why I I want others to not fall prey to that because I think it happened so quickly and so easily that it wasn't until five, seven years later that I finally got my feet back under me and said, wait, I need to put myself back in the position of making decisions and not feel like decisions were made for me. Um, And I just did not have the foresight at that time to do that. And so it really took me off of what I had always planned to do. When I looked at myself and what that was, it it was definitely something that was in sports announcing, um, on air, something like that. And and certainly I ended up very far from that. You you did, but I had, well, I think you I think you would have excelled at that as well. <laughs> I have to say. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes, listening to you today uh, on the show, I have no doubt that 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 would have been um, a successful career for you as well. But but you're right. I think um, often we I think those twists and turns and sometimes complete opposite careers of where we end up are always um, a lesson. You know, they're full of lessons and they're and they're always instrumental and in steps toward. Uh, the, the place we end up being. I think rarely is it a straight line. No, I, I agree. And it's one of those to, to make sure that even when the line isn't straight, to be very conscious of the line. Yes. And I think now I have a much better idea that even when things get diverted, I know it's happening and I'm watching it happen and I'm a more active participant versus feeling that things aren't in my control. And I now understand that that's something that I need and not my best me when I really have that focus, even though, you know, there's always twists and turns. It's just how you manage those twists and turns. Yes, right. So tell me what you did then. What what were you doing before uh, PwC, between, I guess, the years of 93 and 97? Yeah, so I did a lot of very random things. Um, So I spent a year in Europe. So I was in Paris and I rode horses and I taught gymnastics as I was with this individual who played basketball. And then my mother had gotten very ill and I decided to come home um, and be with her. And probably one of the most traumatic things, my sister and I and our closest family were with her as we had to make some tough decisions. 
And we'll never forget, we sang Silent Night for 45 minutes as she slowly passed away. Oh, wow. And again, though, such a, such a feeling of peace. Um, but I, every time I hear Silent Night, it does mm. take me back that time. And, and then I had to make a decision because that was back in Shaker Heights, whether to stay in Shaker. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, uh, my parents have been divorced, was living in Oklahoma. And my sister had gone to Northwestern and was uh, working at a bank here. And if I wanted to come to Chicago, and so I was like, well, I can stay in Ohio by myself. I can move to Oklahoma, not really sure what I'm going to do there. Or I can go to Chicago. And there were certainly a lot of my girlfriends from University of Michigan who ended up in Chicago. So that's how I found my way to the Windy City for the first time. Okay. Is that, was that song one of your mom's favorites? It was. Um, that was her favorite song around the holidays. And as I had said before, the holidays continue to be an incredibly special time uh, for the family. And so it was just a, it was a very peaceful um, ending to um, a lovely life. And um, interestingly enough, it was uh, Good Friday that she passed away. Mm. So we all, <laughs> there just was a lot of things that were attached to that, but certainly um, certainly things that were very thoughtful and, and have um, really good memories. Yeah. Not sad, actually very good. And, and maybe one of the neatest things is her birthday was May 10th, and my sister, her first daughter, was born on May 10th and was named after my mother. So you oh, feel like yeah. something in the universe works. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know what? The, yes, there's, there's signs all the time. I think we just have to be paying attention. <laughs> right? So, you know, it does these very happy things kind of crossover making dates just so much more important that's right that's right so you went off to Chicago and um did you move there without a job yet and and kind of start networking with your colleagues and friends I did I had no job I moved there I remember very clearly it was the year of the um OJ Simpson trial Mm. um so I did watch a lot of the trial because I was not employed (laughs) Uh, it was riveting it was riveting it was yeah I mean, it was, and I can remember uh, going on, being in a car in a cab on the way to the dentist when the verdict came out. I mean, it was just, so I know exactly what it was. Yeah. Um, and so I started looking for jobs, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I interviewed for several PR firms at the time mm-hmm. and didn't get um, a bite at all. They had asked me to write press releases, and I was like, a what? A press release? Like, I had no idea. <laughs> and uh, ended up doing, um, working for a consulting firm that actually did recruiting for actuaries. Um, I had come down between a recruiting firm that actually helped professional athletes and then one that did actuaries, and I needed just a little bit more money, so I actually went for the actuaries. (laughs) Wow, wow. I know, I know. That's a big leap from, you know, uh, your background. Big, huge leap. I mean, I think the one thing that was um, aligned was just this whole notion of recruiting. And so after being at University of Michigan and working in the recruiting department for a couple of years, I knew that that was something that was of interest to me, mm-hmm. And but I never obviously thought about it for a career. And frankly, it was the job that I got. And at some point, I realized I just needed to get a job, and then I could figure out what the next step was. And, right. And luckily, I was only there for a couple of years, and then a friend of mine who went to University of Michigan, who was at Cooper's and Library at the time, said, hey, why don't you come over here? And then that had started my 20 years at PWC. That makes me 
laugh every time I hear how long it's been. I know. The number never matches, you know, the experience. <laughs> no. Right. No, absolutely. Was there anyone along uh, that path prior to, you know, your current position that really kind of has stayed with you as a mentor, maybe someone who believed in you and, and your abilities and helped guide you um, to PwC? Well, I mean, I would say that the person who's probably had the most impact in my life is my father. Um, I mean, he is uh, constantly an inspiration. Watching him and his career and him excel, truly to see somebody that was so overwhelmingly passionate about what he did. And, you know, when I grew up, my dad would bring kids home. And so kids who had no place to stay, they would end up staying in our house. Um, we we were constantly surrounded by people who didn't have things that my father wanted them to have and instilled in us that the importance of making sure that we reached out. And so my dad really inspired me to, first of all, know that there's sometimes you just need to find a job, but then really seeing what it looked like to love it and to fight for it every day until the day he retired, he fought, whether it be unions or school boards or teachers because he knew what was right. And it gave me such that sense of that's who I needed to be. And you had to leave it on the field every single day. If you were not going to show up and give your best, don't bother showing up. And my dad, even in a job working, uh, you know, with actuaries where I didn't know much about it, my father was like, listen, you're in this to win it, my friend, and make it good every day. Make it good. Mm. Wow, that's, you know, that's uh, good life lessons. Did, w- your dad, did he teach at what level? High school, college? Uh, so he he was um, a high school teacher, and then he became, gosh, a principal, and then he was a superintendent for about 20 years. So he was kind of all over. So he's taught some college um, since then, but uh, really started as a high school teacher. Yeah. Well, I would imagine, too, that, that you know, bringing those kids home, was a lesson to you and your sister about, and we're going to talk a lot about, you know, the word purpose, right? Uh, Companies Mm -hmm. today are, it seems, so much more focused on how can we not only, um, you know, sell our product or or give our best services, but also do good in the world. Um, Companies are thinking about that as a whole. And so what a great lesson that was for you around the idea of, you know, in addition to whatever career you are in or position you hold, you can also be really helping someone else on a different level, you know, oh, make it, making that I, work meaningful. Right. And, and making it work meaningful to you and then also reworking your work to make it meaningful, mm. right? And so even if your role was you know, a teacher or a principal or a superintendent, it can actually be more than that, right? The job content can be more. That's but right. you have to be willing to take the extra steps to make it that. And I think that was something that he has always pushed and until certainly now. I mean, I talked to him. Um, we just moved him actually to Chicago. And so he and my stepmother live now in Chicago because our three-and-a-half-year-old son is named after him and they're best buddies. Oh, that's great. And that's great. 
thought it would be nice for us all to be together. And so now I get to talk to him uh, probably almost every day. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, do you think that that experience was, you know, your your title is Chief Purpose Officer. Is, would, is that your first and foremost <laughs> title, would you say? That I know. There's so many of them, but yes, that yeah. is certainly one of the, probably the one I'm most active with now. <laughs> do you think that that, you know, to me that, you know, um, it says what it is, right? You, the, the, the job that you hold is to find programs and, and ways for PwC to be purposeful and, and, and be responsible in the global arena, I'll say. Mm-hmm. So do you think that your life experience really shaped you to do that? Do you think you kind of organically fell into this position? You know, I do. I, I think um, I had not even thought about what my personal purpose was until I got this role. I thought, oh, my gosh, everyone's going to be asking me what my personal purpose is. i got to right. figure it out. Yes, right. Uh, and that's when I, I know. I was like, oh, my gosh. And so that's when I thought back and really, really, truly thought about, gosh, here I, here I live with four cards sitting in my wallet that represent each of these women in my life, and they're my purpose, right? That's what drives me, truly drives me, and, and really got to think about what that means. But I, I think – Looking at all the things that I've done within the firm and outside of the firm, I, I think this role has really culminated to say, how do you take all the things that you do and your skills and your experience and truly try to elevate that to a way that can take society to the next level? And how does that impact people who are a part of that? How does that really impact the decisions and the choice architecture that you make? And what does that really look like if we could live in a purpose-driven world? What could be solved that for so many years have gone unsolved? What more could people really truly embrace as, as trying to address some of the most significant societal issues that we've ever faced? And what could be done if people truly found meaning in their everyday work? And God, that's exciting. It's totally overwhelming. Don't be wrong. It's totally <laughs> overwhelming. Yeah. But also completely exciting. Yeah, well, guess what? You're you're asking the question, right? So right. The, the first thing to do is to ask the questions, um, and I, I think it's also, and, and I'd love to talk about this maybe in the second half of the show, how do we get women in particular to believe and know that they do have abilities to make significant change, whether they are, you know, in a C-suite in a company or perhaps perhaps they're not meant, uh, you know, for corporate work and um how can they, using the, their skills and abilities, really have an impact? Um, you know, you've, you've received numerous awards, Shannon, and, and one of them was uh, a leading global thinker from foreign policy. Outside of your role at PwC, is, when you think about that word purpose, is there one area where you really want to have impact and make a difference? You know, it's hard. I guess I, I worry the most about underserved populations and about people who um, really systematically ha- have been disenfranchised. And, and maybe that's part of a change in my life. And so when I married my husband, who's from the south side of Chicago, an African-American, and now I have a mixed-race child and never kind of thought of any of that mm-hmm. and really have realized what people go through and the tr- and the true luck that some people have to have. And I never had that, right? It was never a thought that I wouldn't go to college. It was never a thought that I wouldn't have a job. It was never a thought that I wouldn't have a bank account. And yet people 
are coming through their lives that are disenfranchised. You have people who are being taken advantage of in immigrant populations. You have people who have been out there giving their lives to protect our country who come back and have not the ability to be able to use their skills to get a job. To me, that's the most alarming and frustrating and um, unthinkable situation to be in. And, and I just feel incredibly strongly that we as an organization, um, we as a society need to fix those things and need to call out what we see as wrong and need to figure out how do you actually change the complete system, not just a program and not just a group, but how do you fundamentally change what's happening to these people? So you're talking about veterans specifically? Veterans and immigrant populations and um, minorities uh, that just are not given the same access um, and the same leg up that other people are. Right. Right. I, th- I, you know, I sometimes wonder if, you know, when we're when we think about, you know, our purpose and what we're meant to do, do you believe that we all have one single purpose or do you feel that we um, are meant to have many purposes throughout our life? You know, it's interesting. I think your purpose evolves. Uh, I think it's very hard and some people go their entire life and have never really thought about purpose. I had gone 40 some odd years, never really thought about it. And so I think you're lucky if you have the chance to sit down and reflect, right? I I do think it's it's, uh, to be able to sit down and have all the problems in the world not be so overwhelming to you individually that you can sit down and take the time to think, I think is a, you know, something that a lot of people don't have. I think your purpose does change based upon your situation and based upon things in life. But if you really think about it, I mean, the purpose is the why. Kind of why do you do what you do? Why um, are you the way you are? What is that North Star that guides you? And I think although around the edges it might change, I think at the heart of it, it probably stays relatively the same. It just is having the ability to really sit down and, and to focus on it and to figure out what is that thing that really has guided me and will continue to guide me. Right, and and I guess it's probably directly um, attached to what our gifts are that allow mm-hmm. us to do that. Um, Shannon, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about um, where do you get or go to for your resources and inspiration for the work you do at PwC. We'll be right back. Great. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. 
Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. I'm speaking this afternoon with Shannon Schuyler, and again, Shannon is the uh, is a principal and chief purpose officer and corporate responsibility leader at Pricewaterhouse Coopers and president of the PwC Charitable Foundation. Uh, one of the things, Shannon, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you you know what you actually do in this role is to is design and implement social and environmental programs. And I wonder where you go for resources um, for this and, and inspiration on what types of programs you look to implement. Well, it's interesting. I think that as part of the corporate responsibility role, it really is trying to determine what are the programs that really engage our people. And so uh, we have about 224,000 people globally at PwC and about 48,000 within the U.S. And first, I'm I'm amazed at the transition and the transformation within the corporate responsibility world over the last five to ten years. And so you have organizations who are doing phenomenal things. And so tapping into different colleagues across various different industries, you have a lot of different professional organizations from the Conference Board, Boston College, um, ACCP, uh, you name so many that have really evolved to be able to show the things that organizations do. I mean, CECP is a great organization that um, helps to really spotlight what organizations are doing within the community outreach and in the environmental space. And what's fascinating is it's very much a collaborative space. And so there's a lot of get-togethers with people in um, cross-industry to have these conversations. And so whether you're talking to um, somebody in a hoteling or someone in banking or or somebody in uh, consumer products, we all kind of sit around together and say, what's working, you guys? What's working? What what seems to get the attention of people? Um, is Are the SDGs something that's exciting now? And so it really has helped to broaden um, and I think overall elevate the CR effort because it has become so much more collaborative than in the past. It has. And, and I would imagine, you know, somewhat overwhelming at times just because there are so many problems that need to be solved or contributed to, I'll say. Absolutely. And, and I think the one thing that organizations are starting to do more and more as are we is really narrowing that down, saying that there's, yes, there's a world of problems that are out there, but when we truly look at who we are and the skills that we bring to bear, what are the things that we could actually solve um, or what are the things that we can solve in tandem with working with another company? I think people now understand that it's not just a bit dipping your toe into the water and saying, let's put a Band-Aid on this, but are really saying, you know, let's do these really significant multi-year partnerships and commitments that really are going to change the way that things are done and measure the impact in a true change management way, not just, hey, here's a really nice program and people will like it and we'll create a new one next year. And I think that's really made this much more than um, kind of your old school philanthropy Mm -hmm. to really a strategic change management effort that um, is really seeing just great transformation. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's so interesting what you just said, that as a company you're looking at what do we do and where would that best fit to to um, be able to contribute to a social issue? And it's the same for an individual. You know, individuals can look uh, at it, at themselves and say, you know, what is it that I'm good at and where can I best help? Um, so, yeah, it's very similar to way to look at it for both a company and an individual. 
absolutely, and technology has made it especially for individuals. Yes. I mean, we're in such a time where, you know, society needs more. We don't have the resources. We're, we're limited. But we're also at a time where people know more and that the individual can do more. I mean, you can only, um, you know, look as far as the ALS challenge and crowdfunding and crowdsourcing. An individual can truly change the funding of uh, an organization, can truly give visibility to a significant issue that's happening overseas, and one person can do that. One person who suddenly leverages that on social media can fundamentally uh, draw attention to some of the world's greatest problems and bring resources in dollar at a time to help solve them. That's right. You know, one person can change the world used to be a cliche, and now it's true, right? It's completely true. It's completely completely true. true. Yes. Tell me, Shannon, what what is is difficult for you on a day-to-day from a a personal standpoint? What is something that, you know, in your uh, career is is a personal challenge that you have to work to uh, overcome? Oh, I feel like this is a tough one. Um, You know, Patience is a constant problem with me. Um, I I want to get there faster to try to solve things so people don't have to continue to go through what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And so patience is a, is a real challenge for me to get over. Um, I'm amazed with what incredible opportunities I've had. And so we joked at the beginning about travel. I've really tried to say with a three-and-a-half-year-old at home with um, you know, moving my dad here with my husband and family commitments, I should really be traveling less. And I'm at an organization and at a level where if I really didn't want to travel, I wouldn't have to. But like, I don't have to do the things that I do, but I'm amazed by the experiences. And, and I thrive on being able to meet different people and see how things work and, and hear different perspectives and, and see how that will change and how to make me better. And so I say yes to a lot of the different things, which can be a real challenge with wanting to make sure that I'm spending the time thinking. Um, I read something that said if you're just answering your emails, you really aren't doing your job. And every once in a while, I catch myself all day. All I did was answer emails. Yes, <laughs> I'm going, yes. All right. I'm like, so I really didn't do much today. But if you don't knock them, you know, you get so many. I, I, I you know, you, if you don't knock them out, you just get more and more backed up and overwhelmed. Uh, completely, and so yes. it's such a, you know, <laughs> but, um, but that's tough, and and really wanting to make sure of, um, you know, I try to clean out my email box every night, which has sometimes keeps me up all night, and I've tried to release myself from having to do that, um, but it's just a thirst for knowledge. I'm, I have found out, and I never thought that I was very intellectually curious, but um, whether it's books or magazine articles or hearing. Uh, people in a podcast or talk about things in a different way. Like I feel I have to know more of what they need and spend so much time really trying to get additional pieces of information that will help to really color my perceptions and to make sure I'm thinking about things in a different way, not just my way, but in a more holistic way. And, and unfortunately all of that just takes up so much time and can take you off the, off the mark a bit. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, too much to do, too little time. You know, we only have so many hours in a day. And I find that, you know, women who are curious and eager to learn and really want to gain as much knowledge as they can, um, it's even more difficult because 
again, I think just with Google, I can find myself completely lost, <laughs> at, you know, an hour later from Googling something I wanted to know, and then that leads to one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. Um, well, one of the things that happens with me is I get on Google, and it's happened this morning, and I'm looking for something, and all of a sudden I get a pop-up for some grocery item and realize, oh, my gosh, I have to order Peapod. I'm leaving town. There's no there. And then all of a sudden a clothing item pops up, and I realize my son has to start camp next week, and he's supposed to wear white on Monday. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's so oh, strange. my gosh. And the you have all these other things that, you know, distract you, help you get back on that, but – distract you that you end up doing all of these things and it I started just with wanting to look something up on Google and I came Oh my gosh, I so uh, relate to that. Things. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's this sensory overload. And I was joking with a guest one time her her specialty really was about, you know, mindfulness and presence. And and I talked about this with Amy Cuddy. I said, Well, <laughs> I get stressed because I don't have the time to be mindful. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I don't have the luxury to sit in yoga and not make lists in my mind. I'm right, like, so I'm that's stressing lists. me out. Quiet, and I'm I know. Right. I know. Oh, my gosh. We just have to try, you know, each day to do the best we can. Um, you know, you mentioned your, your beautiful boy. Um, how wonderful. He's three. Is that right? He is. He's yeah. uh, three and a half. He's going to be four in November. Tell me what you would what, – what change in the world would you like to see for him as he's growing up? You know, it's it's so interesting because, um, you know, w- when I grew up, there were I, – I didn't grow up in an incredibly diverse area. And here I was, this little blonde girl who went to school and everything was fine. And I'm amazed that right now he's um, the only African-American student in his class um, and that people talk about that. And I – never thought I would have a child that I would worry about not being included in things because of his race, um, because his hair was different. I, I never thought of that. And I think about him going through life, and I think about my husband who has had to sit down with his nephews from the south side and tell them, don't wear a hoodie. And if police come up, make sure there's nothing in your hands. And think about my son could be in that same scenario. And so I really look at the violence that has happened and the um, unrest and and the treatment of especially African-American community, but minorities in in different cities. And I really need that to be addressed. Um, I I need that to be addressed for his safety. I need it to be addressed so that he sees the art of the possible um, and that the treatment of people is humane and, and so incredibly important to value everyone and and that diversity is truly what makes us better and need to make sure that he gets to see that throughout growing up because certainly um thank goodness he's too young to understand it now but that has not been over the last couple of years and you know every time we think we've come so far um things happen and it's always amazing to me because when you think about families today are so eclectic and eclectic and mm-hmm. blended and um so it's kind of it's kind of surprising for me to hear you say that um where you are that that things that you would be looked at differently or your son would be yeah and i think it's um i mean we're we're obviously in chicago which is um a very diversity but also very segregated 
Okay. And I think it's one of those places where I never thought of it, right? And I don't even see it as much as my husband sees it because I'm a little bit oblivious, I think, to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I, I want to make sure that I become more vigilant about and that I do see it when it's there and, and that I can make sure that he is able to get through things and feel confident in himself mm-hmm. and really instill that in him so that he really is a um, you know strong individual who knows where he fits in. Yeah. And and you know what he'll he'll get he'll have that guidance from the conversations that you and your husband have with him. And and again you're you're clearly leading by example um just the way that you're living your life. How did you meet your husband? So we were I came back to Chicago. So after I was in Chicago the first time with the firm, I left and was in um Los Angeles and then San Francisco and then DC and then I came back to Chicago and he and I were in a leadership greater Chicago class together and, and actually clashed. Uh, we have different political views, and we used to battle in class, and lo and behold, after class was over, <laughs> we started dating. <laughs> oh, I that's know, awesome. I know, and that's why we have some of the best conversations still to this day. <laughs> and, uh, and so we ended up getting together and then soon after had our son, which um, I will tell you, I was really hoping for a boy because even though I was um, a good girl, as far as I got good grades, and I was an athlete, I was a huge challenge. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, my mother is looking down saying, oh, you totally deserve a girl, my friend. Were you uh, a little feisty or headstrong, would you say? I was a little, I was a little feisty and a little headstrong. I yeah. do, you know, a little bit too much. <laughs> right. Well, I think that's a great thing. I think that's a great thing. <laughs> Um, can you talk a little bit about your role with um, the Huffington Post, uh, the What's Working initiative? I understand you're the managing editor for that. Sure. No, it's actually been an incredible partnership. I met Ariana Huffington, gosh, several years ago, and I will tell you, I have been enamored with her ever ever since the first time that I met her. I, I just was blown away by her presence and, and just the power that she had behind her words and, and her confidence and her aura. And so had the opportunity as we were looking at uh, different things to do, and they have a great section on what's working. And as we started to look at that, we really wanted to be able to put together what was working around this whole purpose notion because people just hear so much negative all the time. And mentally, you hear so much negative, and so you actually take the positive and you push it back. Mm -hmm. Um, And you look at that through everything that's going on with media, and, and it's much more negative than positive. And there's actually something that can go on with your brain that if you start to hear more positive, you actually change your actions. And we thought that this section really highlighting what people are doing, what companies are doing, individuals that's working, and really elevating purpose and still elevating society financially would be incredibly important to do. And so we got engaged and and have had uh, just a great opportunity really looking over the content and figuring out how we can push things a bit. It is one of the highest traffic spaces that they have. And so it's been just an incredibly um, fulfilling partnership with them. And and they've been just such great people to work with. So if people wanted to see that, can they find that at the, um, the Huffington Post website and just, is there a tab for what's working? There is. There is. They can just go right to Huffington Post and look on what's working, and then one of the what's working is purpose plus profit. Okay. I love that idea because, you know, a lot of a lot of initiatives, I guess, are sometimes um, spinning their wheels if they haven't really determined, you know, or haven't become focused. So to put out there 
the initiatives that are working, I think, is really important. And as you said, those, those positive stories lead to more positive stories. Absolutely. It's contagious, and it happens it the other way. So let's make it work the positive way. Right, exactly. Shannon, tell me what you think. You know, Women to Watch, what, what we're trying to do and what we're all about is really encouraging more women to pursue leadership roles. And we're doing that, and I know you you know why that's a good idea, because we're frankly just going to see a better world when we do. Tell me, what what do you think will be one of the greatest impacts that we will see when we have more women leading, whether it's policy or sitting on boards, um, C-suites of organizations? Where do you see the greatest impact initially? Well, I mean, whether it's studies or data points, um, certainly all point to the fact that having women in leadership roles leads to greater dialogue, leads to greater collaboration, leads to more inclusive overall um, workforces, and elevates not only the business from a revenue standpoint, but also in those companies where women are leaders, they actually do more for society too. And so women are able to make sure that truly all boats rise. And I think the more women that you have in in these types of leadership roles, the more that you'll really see that they're able to bring a lot of different perspectives together, um, able to really bring people with very different views and have them really collaborate on specific issues that they can drive together. And really make sure that there's a connection between emotionally what do we need to bring to be thoughtful and to be able to bring up this next generation of children to be leaders as well as what we need to do from the hardcore business to make sure that we're viable in the marketplace. And I think what we see is men alone don't do that. And women specifically have the ability to bring both sides of who they are together and really see great, great change, great positive change within organizations. And I think you see the same thing from a political standpoint. Yes. So in other words, bringing, bringing their personal self and their professional self to, um, to organizations. Absolutely. I I mean, I I think really women are so multidimensional, which is what makes us who we are. Right. And I always get nervous when, you sit down and you see a woman and, and they're just so business oriented or, or um, come across just very one dimensional. When you know what makes us so dynamic is that we bring all of this to the table, right. which is why people can feel more open, which is why we can collaborate, which is why people are more thoughtful when women are around. And I, and I think we have to make sure that as we're trying to get to that next leadership level, that truly what's going to get us there is being our whole self not trying to be a man, not trying to do it their way, mm-hmm. because actually our way is better. Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, it's about being human first, right? If, if you're, Absolutely. that's, that's something that we, we share across the board. So bring that to conversations. Um, and I think you'll, you'll get much better results because then you're connecting with, with the people that you're, you know, brainstorming with or trying to uh, work on projects with. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're more in the game. You're listening. Um, you're trying to put different points together to actually make sense. And yeah. we bring that skill, and it's an incredible gift that women have. And we have to figure out how do we use the things that are, that are just ours, 
or that we do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not trying to play somebody else's game. I don't, I don't want to play a man's game. I want to play the best female game, the best women's game that I can play. Yeah. Do you, do you at PWC, um, what is the, first of all, what's the ratio of men to women in leadership roles there? Do you know? Oh, I, I, you know what? I don't know the exact number. We just had, um, as of a couple uh, last week, we have a new U.S. leadership team that is uh, one of the most incredibly diverse teams that we've had, um, both from race and gender. And so it's just incredibly progressive. And I, so I don't want to give the exact numbers. I can certainly get that. But it's interesting. When people start out at PWC, it's pretty much 50-50 mm-hmm. um, when people come off of college campuses. And, and we've done um, just an exceptional job, especially with women, with getting more and more women to those senior leadership positions, to the senior management roles, actually running offices, uh, now um, running lines of service, so really in strategic business roles. And so I think that that's incredibly exciting to see. Do you see uh, – tell me what difference you see in the in the young women, the millennials coming out of college today. What do you think – how is their mindset different um, – when it comes to confidence and, you know, goals, do you, do you see them as ahead or the same perhaps as, as our generation or what differences have you seen, if any? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think you have, um, I think you have a group that was really raised by helicopter parents Mm -hmm. and people who constantly gave them feedback. And so they're looking for constant feedback. And if they don't get that, they kind of lose their way a bit, um, but are very good at taking feedback and constructive um, criticism and will really change what they do. And so they're, they listen and they really want the experience of doing something better. Um, I think you also have a group, though, that has become more comfortable with, right, everybody gets a trophy. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have the same um, fight to climb over somebody. Right. which I think is incredible. They work together in teams and they collaborate much more so than other generations do. And so I think that you'll see them, I think women have gotten a bad rap in years past. Uh, women are hard to work for, right? Women don't reach back down and help other women. And I think one thing you certainly see from this generation is they help each other, right? They're in it together because they know that whether it's a societal issue, they know whether it's something significant happening from a business standpoint, one person is not going to solve it. They're going to solve it together. And I think that's an incredible um, you know, way forward if they continue to do that as they get into leadership roles. Right. And I, and I would imagine you know, they've had so many examples um, that we didn't have growing. I say we. I, I, I think I'm older than you. But growing up, there weren't <laughs> the Sheryl Sandbergs of the world and you know, right. the networking groups that we see and the you know, diversity initiatives. Young women um, years ago, we didn't have that. So this is great messaging, and it's exciting time to be a young woman um, coming out of college and, and starting a career. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think that they are so much more um, because of technology and because of social media, they have just such this great confidence about them and, and spirit. And they will reach out. I mean, I'm amazed at how many people who are actually younger in their careers reach out to sit down to um, have some time together because they truly want to help. And they're not afraid. There's nothing. They're like, well, somebody asked. So, of course, I'm going to give them feedback or, of course, I'm going to take them up on something. They're the first ones when you 
know, get done with a presentation that are there asking questions. Right. Uh, they truly want to learn, and I think that's a yeah, that's something that's incredibly exciting. Yeah, and and you know we're seeing so many firsts today as well. You know, women taking on roles for the first time ever. Um, you know, that have never take had these these leadership positions before, and because of you know technology, we get to see about it, uh, read about it rather, and know about it. Um, we only have a, a minute left, Shannon. Leave our listeners and our audience with just any last bit of advice that you might have um, for a woman who is um, eager to be an entrepreneur and, and perhaps start something on her own. You know, I, I think continue to be very intellectually curious. Look at different ways to do things. Don't just look at your way, but really get out there and look at the different perspectives and, and different ways in which to approach a problem. Um, I also think don't be afraid to fail fast. Yes. <laughs> um, the faster you fail, that the faster you're back at it again. Right. Um, I think you want to push and really be disruptive, but be disruptive in a constructive way, not just to do it, but in a way that um, pushes the envelope and also has control of the envelope. Mm. Um, and then I guess one that I'm just really focused on lately is um, kind of hold on tightly, but let go lightly. Uh, no know how far to push something, but then know when, know when that idea has kind of passed and it's time to go on to something else. Um, and I just think that just takes a lot of internal conversations with yourself. And, and I definitely am a big advocate with being your own best cheerleader. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Shannon, I thank you so much for taking time with us today. Um, it was a great conversation and lots of good tidbits and um, nuggets for our listeners. I wish you continued success. Well, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. You take care now. You too. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Uh, again, check out our website at womentowatch.net and have a great week.